Welcome to the Deep Into Movies podcast. My name is Stephen T. Hanley. I'm the founder and lead creator of Deep Into Movies. We're a pop-up cinema based in London and New York. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by director Romain Gavras. He's here to talk about his new film, Athena, and his amazing body of work in music videos. You've most likely seen one of his music videos, M.I.A., Bad Girls, incredible. Justice, Stress, one of my favorite music videos of all time, my God. This video looks illegal. We get into that during the pod. Jay-Z and Kanye West, No Church in the Wild, Jamie XX, Gosh, so many bangers. He's got a new movie, Athena, playing at the Rio all week. And then it hits Netflix. An incredible, powerful film about police brutality, community, and family. Also, staggering one takes. I've got to say, the opening sequence is insane. I urge you, go find it on Netflix. Watch the opening scene. You're going to be gripped. It's so good. Anyway, here is me and Romaine Gavras. So I always start at the beginning, was there particular films or music videos you saw as a teenager that really sparked something in you that made you want to become a, I know you're from a filmmaking family, but I was wondering specifically, was there something that really sparked your interest? Well, I I think coming from a filmmaker family, like, um, because I'm, I was born in 81, so I was a teenager in the nineties. And, uh, so coming from a filmmaker family, I watched way too many, like, cerebral films and you know like art house films like you know from Tarkovsky to Bergman way too young so like uh, as a rejection I got really into pop culture in the early 90s so like music videos or even commercials you know like so it's it kind of started with uh with Thriller I like till this day like Thriller is my favorite music video and then and then I remember like when uh, Sabotage from uh, from the Beastie Boys that Spike Jones directed, like when it was on TV, because it was still the days where music videos were on TV, like me, me and my cousins would run around and like d- reinterpret the, the video, you know, like run around like like we if we had guns and like, uh, so I, like th- this video, uh, the smack my bitch up video obviously was was a big thing when it came out like because i was i was very young i was i must have been like 13 or something and i was really i was really really into uh into into rap as well as a teenager when you were in france as a teenager like you know you were first i don't know why like the west coast was huge for some reason so we were all like you know, watching whether it's NWA or like Compton Most Wanted like videos. And then, and then the Wu-Tang came about and then we were all about the Wu-Tang Clan. So like, I remember like the video from Cream, which is very, very simple, but was very, uh, yeah, just, it just stuck with me a lot. And, um, and then, and then like still to this day after Thriller, my favorite music video of all time is uh, Window Licker from, 
uh, from Apex Twin. Uh, so that that was like a that was my late teenage, but that was like a, the most uh, impressive video I've ever mm -hmm. seen at that time. Yeah. Did you have the thriller video with the making of as well, where John Lands would show you how? obsessed he was with the choreography and stuff oh for the thriller one yeah yeah i mean like i'm lucky enough to be friends with uh, john landis so like he he because it's a very weird connection like my dad is friends with john landis which really? is like the two opposite style of filmmakers yeah. they can be but for some reason they are and so like john like john you know like always told me a lot of story about yeah. mj and about like you know how there's a really cool interview where where it's him it's john landis and michael jackson standing on a porch i don't know if it's if it's for the thriller video and and john is like michael is really ticklish and it's like my uh, <laughs> john landis tickling michael jackson is going <laughs> like this uh but yeah i mean he he invented so many things because even the remember the time the kind of egyptian videos he did yeah was amazing you know like in terms of scale, i mean it aged bad but it was amazing in terms yeah. of scale what's the one where he's on the roller coaster i know that's kanye west's favorite video oh, which one is is that stop one stop bugging me around it's the one where he's complaining about the uh paparazzi in the press it's kind of a get off fuck you get off my back kind of okay I'll have to watch to that. yeah it's like, one on the roller coaster but did john landis directed it speed demon is that, I think so. Uh -huh. Yeah. The John Landis directed that one. No, that, I, I remember that was Kanye's favorite video of okay. all time, and he said that MJ was a fan. But yeah. weirdly, my I met John Landis once, and I asked him about the because my dad used to work at the cinema in Piccadilly Circus. Okay. For the record, before it was a porno theater, when it was a regular cinema. Okay. But Landis said, yeah, originally in the American Wealth in London script, it was a regular cinema because he used to go there every weekend to watch for Tex Avery cartoons. Oh, amazing. And then, after, but that's when my dad was a projectionist. So he said, yeah, your dad must have put on all the cartoons I used to come to. But when he went back to film American Wealth in London, it was a porno cinema. Oh. And he said, great, just cross out cartoon cinema and make it a <laughs> porno <laughs> cinema that works as well. But yeah, that was really funny. And then the Chris Cunning video, that was the golden era of music, yeah. music videos. Yeah, where it, it, it was like he... He probably did the most inspiring videos, uh, you know, ever made. And it was also a time where, in the '90s, where there was still a lot of money in music videos. You know, yeah. so 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 you could even for an indie artist like uh, you know like FX Twin, like you had like still a massive budget to do them. And then it kind of like died down a little bit in the 2000s and there's a resurgence but it's like it's it's never been as much as they had in the 90s you know no i remember gavin rostell from bush was i saw an interview with him recently and he was saying isn't it crazy that the music industry would throw so much money at a video on the off chance it'll be played on mtv there was never any guarantees that yeah. your film's going to be aired when your music video would be shown or what time it would be shown, or what kind of rotation it would be on, but we'd still be throwing half a million pound at a music video, which is just insane now. It, yeah, it's insane because, like, I mean, back then you only had one platform to watch it, which was MTV. You know, now it, to make like even more now than ever to make a relevant video, you have to wake up very early because, like, the, the there's so many platforms, so everything gets drowned. You know, it's way harder to 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 be seen, I guess. Yeah, and kind of cut through the noise unless you're yeah. 
What was your first video? What was your first music video gig? My first music video was for a, a French rap band called uh, Mafia Canfri, which was the equivalent of the French Wu-Tang Clan kind of thing. And, and it was... So it was like the beginning of the DV cameras, you know, like... Yeah, uh, mini DV? Mini DV, yeah. So, oh, so it was all shot on that. And, and it was just like a very... Everything shot in their hood video and it, it was it, like it still to the till this day it's one of uh, my favorites so just because it had nothing to do with me or us that did it like we shot it with my friend Kim Chapion and Lajli we were very young and it was it was just them that were like yeah show up on two weekends at this place and they brought like 400 kids and motorcycles wow. and everything and what's interesting is that it's a video that then became you know just because It was a, the development of technology where suddenly everyone could have a DV cam and, and, and shoot with it. But it was the template for 10 years of music video in French rap after that, you know, like, and even the Americans, like the Rough Riders with their video, I don't know if you remember that video, like where there's bikes and everything, they kind of copied our video, you know, like, right. yeah, like, because it went through America, like it was the beginning of internet as well. So, so a lot of American rappers that I met afterwards were like, oh, you did that video as well, because they knew it, that it, it was like a, a template for French videos, you know, like that's so, weirdly because of the style and the scale where there's like literally 400 kids on every shot, like screaming that, that kind of like translated abroad, you know? Yeah. You still see that to this day with every every kind of trap rapper or soundcloud rapper they always have bring the squad all around yeah, on the yeah, street yeah, yeah, and exactly. stuff yeah but then we didn't need like you know like the video costed nothing like i remember like it was twenty thousand francs and you know it was in cash you know so it was like it was like the olden days yeah so many people i've spoken to of that those um sony mini dv mini dv cameras just completely changed the game yeah it did you, you know like it's it's I think cinema and, you know, videos and everything, they evolve with technology. So like the new wave, the French new wave was the French new wave, not just because there was young people with ideas. It was also that suddenly you could take the camera of the studio because before the French new wave, you had to light so much the to print on the on the film that that they were they can they could only shoot in studios you know like the Marcel Carnet films and all those films so as soon as you could you had those cameras and really sensitive like uh, film stock Godard and like all the all those all those guys started to bring the cameras to the street and invented a new language and I think with the DV cams what happened is that a you know suddenly any kid could start filming you know like uh, uh and editing because you you could i mean when we started we edited from vhs to vhs but then by the time the dv cam w appeared you you could like put it in your computer and started to edit with like final cut or or those little softwares you know yeah i remember when i was in film school i wanted to, i bought my first camera and i bought the sony mini dv pocket camera yeah i googled what camera chris cunningham was using on rubber johnny yeah and so kind of like when, when kids buy it. their favorite guitar players guitar i was like i'm gonna buy my favorite filmmakers mini camera but it was great because we could just steal shots we'd go into a cinema and say can we just film a quick scene of someone walking in and be like no 
And we're like, okay, we're just going to come back tomorrow and I'll have it in my jacket and I'll just steal the shot because they were just tiny, like the size of a iPhone. That yeah, you could yeah, just... they, were, they were tiny. And they, like even the slightly bigger one, I remember like the one we had, which is still till this day for the like mainstream market cameras, the best one was the Sony TRV 900. And that was like the, the was that the, the one all the skateboarders and stuff? Were, were well, using? it was it was slightly bigger than the pocket one, but the sound like the good thing is that the sound was great, the picture was great. It had a night shot, which I loved. You know, the like, green screen, yeah, the green, yeah. the green night shot, and and yeah, the, the the quality was just like very good, and 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 it had like you could do the light balance yourself, kind of thing, you know. And then I was when I was watching back all your videos, I remember the stress video that video is still looks almost illegal the way <laughs> it's just so violent and so nihilistic that it was incredible it completely when i saw it, it completely changed my way of thinking of what a music video could be that mm. this isn't a um a vanity project in any way this is just like a almost looks like the stolen footage of kids raising hell on the streets yeah i'm i mean it was like um because we're friends with the band uh, with the with the justice guys and you know like when they made me listen to that song from the album like we we started talking and we were just like we need uh a video that matches the violence of that song yeah so it came like it didn't even first come from a a political standpoint or you know, like, like, or it, it was just like a very literal thing first, like the idea. And then, then we, like, I developed this idea of like the relationship with the kids and the camera where the, we shot in 16, but it's almost like those, the, the camera becomes like a main character. Like the kids are dressing the camera. You see some of the TV crew, you know, like you yeah. see like the guy. And so like in France, there's this thing, like since 20, 30 years now of like really like, um, uh showing the on on in the media like almost like pushing the, you know like when there's a documentary about kids or or street violence and everything yeah there is a relationship of like almost are they doing this for the camera or are they actually filming that you know like like yeah. the, and and i think that dialogue is very interesting and at the end you see the kids turning back to the camera and even like in the in the sound like uh, saying in French like oh you, you like filming this shit motherfucker and right. it's a question it's also a question for me you know like it's I almost put it as a question for me because as a filmmaker we're not gonna lie we we enjoy powerful images but then there's a question do you enjoy filming this motherfucker basically yeah. <laughs> and and so like when we put it out the thing is like we didn't say anything so like people really thought it was a snuff from you know for a week in france it was like insane like it was it was the cover of like all the news outlets and and because we didn't say anything so people thought like did that shit happen for real is it a snuff is it a and and i think it's 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 more interesting when you put out stuff like that to to not be over explanatory about it you know like, don't give uh, a context or yeah, uh, no, don't 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 give a context and 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 also like um uh you go that far you make such an extreme video don't try to sugar it down with words you like know, a like, director statement of, yeah, yeah that's yeah, totally exactly. true it's always more affecting when you're can't that's that's always more exciting when you can't under when yeah. it isn't transparent about oh this is 
Yeah, especially for especially for a video because a video is like uh, I mean some videos are like poems and and they should they should just leave a feeling and like and sometimes that feeling is confusing and it's like haunts you like what what did I see what what is it meaning and and I, and I think I think it's 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 interesting when sometimes the context is not given you know we stealing shots there, there's so many of a um pedestrians looking on they look really scared <laughs> yeah i know i know but I, so so basically what we do is we uh for some of the pedestrians so we we'd set up a scene where everyone that's in the scene either getting beat up or the kids blah blah, blah is rehearsed and and you know prepared but like for example in montmartre we rehearse the scene but the cameras they, because they're like kind of like 16 with a small zoom on it we got reactions from bystanders that didn't even see there was a camera and then you go see them and you ask them like oh it's for a video so you get like a few reactions like that that are that are real and then like in every you know in every situation of uh, uh when you're filming violence usually what i like to do is like you know you're gonna tell the kids we going for real and you're going to tell the stunts that are playing the police or the stunts getting beat up like they are like professional stuntmen are we doing a rehearsal so like they're not like the kids think like the kids knows we're rolling and we're going to shoot but the stunts they think it's a rehearsal so like what it creates is like uh, real fear in the eyes Preferred, because they're not yeah. they're not they're not prepared. Oh, and amazing! Yeah, because the problem with some, especially back in the days, I didn't have the money to like hire really good stunts. So like, they were they were like kind of like, you know, older stunts that did stuff with Chuck Norris. So they had like bad old school stunt habits. So I I needed to trick them in order to get like interesting reaction. You know, um, so so this is this is mo most of the way we did it. But like everything is like done. You know, like the, no, no, there's zero thing that is snuff. But the the authorization, for example, like in Montmartre, there was no way we could write that scene, yeah. send it to the police, and say we're going to shoot that. So, so I remember clearly sending a letter that where where the scene was a couple, an American couple is kissing in front of Paris and <laughs> looks at the view, <laughs> and that's not the scene. How long was your shoot? How long did it last? Uh, that shoot, that shoot was, I think, three days. But I rehearsed with the kids for like a week with the kids and the stunts and the guys. Some some of the some of the kids getting beat up in the in the in the video. They're not stunts, so we kind of rehearsed all the movements for like a week. Did you keep a jacket? The jackets are so sick. The jacket, the jacket. I made them my like we. Because back in the days, I didn't have um, I didn't have a a costume designer, you know, like I, I like I didn't like like uh, I didn't I didn't find the one I have now, uh, which is English actually, Hannah Edwards. Props to her. Uh, so before I I didn't have that. So I remember going to the Cliencourt market, buying those jackets, then do cutaways of like the cross, and then I ironing them myself really yeah yeah yeah. They will be homemade. yeah yeah super homemade those jackets yeah um is it signature signature yes what amazing video where how did the, the idea come about for the stereo battle so 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 signature uh was the first was the first video that i shot on film you know before i was doing everything myself on dv and this is so one day i, w I, w I was uh, i was prepping it 
and the artist DJ Mehdi who who passed away who was a our dearest friend like had this track and he was like yeah Thomas Bangalter from Daft Punk remixed it and when I heard it it, it almost sounded I mean it sounds like a, a track that those kids up from north of France would play in their cars and um and there's a there's a documentary series that's amazing uh from Belgium called uh, Striptease which is it it started i think in the 70s and it's just like cameras following a character for like 30 minutes but the way they do it is like they 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 follow characters for like months and then they they edit it and they and there was one about a guy doing this and and that was a huge inspiration uh, for me because like you see within that world of like the tuning cars and like the stuff on north of france and and so then i think because of the song the song married re really well with that world we um, we went for that but it's the first time i was shooting in 16 with my dop uh andre shemetov who's a childhood friend but he he uh he was an ac before and i was shooting everything myself and we we kind of bumped into each other in the street i was like oh i'm preparing this video he's like oh i can find film stock and that video is where when I started to work with him and started to work with Murad Belkedar, my producer, who who was a junior producer back in the day. So it, that video is like quite sentimental because it kind of was the first video that where my crew that became more professional, like uh, uh, started to form, you know. And what I love in that video is where it carried on to a lot of your other work. Really interesting casting, really interesting faces and the type of people you don't see regularly cast in films and especially music videos. Yeah, I mean, it was a sp like in, in music videos and in pop music back in the days where, when I did um, Signature, it was a time where it was very rare. It was like very poppy, the, the music videos back then, or, or it was like the more indie ones. They were more in the Gondry type of thing, like paper cut scissors or clever you know visual tricks and everything but you didn't really have like an exploration of different worlds you know like uh it, it was like there was only a few people that did it like uh and rank did it a little bit but like they, it was quite niche and so I, I was really interested in like i mean now it's interesting because it's it's almost the opposite like where mainstream commercial only features you know, interesting looking characters, you know, but I, I remember back in the days also making commercials, they were like, you you had to have everyone to have a face like Ryan Reynolds, basically. Yeah. You, know, you, you couldn't have like anyone looking weird or, uh, and and I think those videos started to to kind of move the line where, where people were like, oh, it's interesting, you know, like different worlds, different faces and, and you know, interesting, interesting like uh, subcultures or, you know, like regions, you know. And I love the car. Was that a Honda? Yeah, Dorage the car is a Honda. That's such yeah, a yeah, sick yeah, looking yeah. car. And this has been bugging me ever since I've watched it. The Gosh video. How did you wrangle probably, was it 400 teenagers? Yes. For, with blonde hair? Well, so the, so the, so ba to, 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 to go, to go back on that, like we, we, when we shot in, uh, so we shot in China where, where they have a, um, they have this 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 Eiffel Tower and this Parisian street, which was supposed to be the the um, the heaven for middle class for like a middle class uh, in this town in China, but re never really took on. So I've always 
I saw like since in articles the construction of that thing, and then when we got there to 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 prep the job because we prepped for a long time, we found those kids because I knew we had to to do a long choreography. We found those kids in a in a, in the mountains in a Shaolin temple where like they have no like, way yeah 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 so they 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 have like Shaolin schools for ten thousand kids. We went there kind of like had to deal with like the 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 chief head of the school which is like the, the dealing was underneath Mao Zedong's uh, portrait in a wow. huge room and first he was like no for no way no 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 how did you pitch this as, well uh, it, 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 i pitched it as the, the the most honest possible but then you know like in china it's 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 complex because you have a translator all the time so like everything gets super confused and sometimes you know the response is shouty and you don't understand why and sometimes the response is like laughing you don't know so i still till this day don't know how we convinced him but so and 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 so he 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 agreed uh and basically three days we we took them for a week like no for five days before the shoot to train them to because they work in squares so to to train them to work in circles and three days before the shoot I had this dream where I was walking in um, in Beijing and everyone was blonde, and uh, and and I told my line producer, uh, "Listen, like I, I had this dream. I think something is missing on the video. We should dye the hair of all the kids, all the four hundred kids blonde." And I saw the face of my line producer, like really hurting, like really like in deep pain because he knew what it meant. He was like, it's a really good idea. We should do it. You know, because because he knew that it was it was gonna be better. So we it was a it was a town in it was, it's a huge city in, in China, but not one of the main cities. So we rounded up all the hairdressers from that city to like like there's a there's a making of that's quite interesting where you see the kids doing it themselves and everything because I was calling all the the hairdressers that I know from the fashion world, like when I do commercials or whatever, and they were like, you'll never do it, Roman, it's impossible to die 400 kids, <laughs> like 400 Chinese kids in 24 hours. And then one of one of the Chinese guy from a salon, he was like, we will do it. And we literally rounded up like, I don't know, 30 hairdresser and for 48 hours, we, we just, you know, dyed the, the hair of 400. That's nuts. That's almost like a accidental world record you've yeah it could be but the, you, you you there is a making off of that and you oh, i've you, got to you watch that. have that. i missed yeah. that yeah and how is it as a frenchman being in france and china that must have been surreal it, w- it was it was surreal especially because at some point i had to go back like because the prep for that video was like a month like a month prep for a video i, I prepped them a lot but like this one needed a lot of prep and I flew back for a weekend to see my daughter uh, in Paris, came back, but just for two just for two days, flew back and forth. And the hotel was in that street. It was like a fake Versailles in that oh street. Oh, my God. And so I woke up like jet lag coming back from Paris. In Paris. In Paris <laughs> with just, you know, like uh, Chinese families everywhere looking at, you know, because everyone, especially in that town where there's no foreigners, everyone looks at you and everything. So it's so, it was very, very surreal, basically. And how is it pitching these? Um, I don't know, all your videos are so intense, and you don't often include the artist. How how is that pitching? Well, the the artist, like I mean, first you want to film, like to film to to put the artist in it. You want to film him, you know, like so. I did it with like uh, Mia because she she has an amazing swagger and yeah. she looks so cool on camera. But a lot of artists, I feel like Jamie, yeah, he's a very it. retiring, quiet 
kind of guys. Yeah, so. I mean, like, no, but also, like, some people that, like, like the Justice guys or Jamie that do electronic music, you know, like, it's more the music that, you know, they're not, like, the music frontmen, was the you know. Yeah, uh, the uh, music is the focal point. Ex exactly. And, uh, and, and then there's, there's, uh, there's other cases of practicality, you know, like where where the the idea not not necessarily matches having the the frontman in it, you know, like when I when I did the the video for for Jay Z and Kanye West for Watch the Throne, it made no sense to have them in it, you mm -hmm. know. So so sometimes it's just the idea dictating as well the the video. I read you had uh, you said. All your artistic collaborations have gone well, except for when you pitched a love story between a hostage and an ISIS member. Oh. <laughs> Where's that video? <laughs> well, that video, I still hope, I, I still really hope to do it. Uh, it, it, it was, it was, um, I, I, I think I tried to sell it to everyone, but it's, uh, it's, 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 it's very difficult because it was, it was an, uh, you know, it's like the, the the idea. It's like I I don't want to pitch the idea because I right. I, I still want to keep. I, I want to do it. I Maybe Coldplay. Yeah. So if we move on to Athena, what what was your initial concept for the film? Did you have a seed of an idea that you expanded? Yeah, I think I think it was like conversations with uh, with my friend Lodge, who who where we started together when we were like teenagers, and you know we were we were talking about ideas, you know, for his next film, for my next film, and we kind of landed on that idea of like making a Greek tragedy out of a, a, a sparkle that would like in, uh, inflame the a neighborhood and the rest of the nation, you know, like almost like the sparkle that would start a civil war in France. Because you, you can feel in France like the tensions everywhere and like you feel that almost everyone is pushing towards that agenda. And, um, and, and you know, little by little, I, I, I started to realize that a lot of like the way I like to film things is like a lot of iconography and uh, and and um, and symbolism. So like the Greek tragedy has that that form and and that narrative uh, architecture where you can really like thrive on that and thrive on that language. And 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 so we just you know we just went for it where where it starts with like the 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 deep pain of like um, a brotherhood getting torn apart and their pain and their rage kind of spills out through the neighborhood and through the nation you're going to get asked this a lot but the opening scene is so incredible how did how long were you planning that starting from the attack in the police station move, moving into the van pulling out of the van the motorbikes so, pretty incredible Thank you. So, 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 so we we rehearsed the whole film for two months before shooting it, uh, like literally, like um, just the actors, a small camera in the set, but with like cartons to do the volumes and and so like no extras, no, but like just to rehearse the movements of camera and and the tempo, and that scene we did like almost a week rehearsing on that scene because you'll see like there's a making of that will come out. 
after the film is released, where you see that everything is done for real, where the camera goes no. in the van. Yeah, I don't, I don't really like green screen or CGI. So like, I didn't want to ask, but I assume yeah, being you, well, it would yeah, be it's like it's kind of like organic. Yeah, and and I think you feel it when you see Absolutely, it. Absolutely, like, uh, yeah. Like you feel the danger, and like and you feel that it's 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 real. You know, like uh, the the. The thing that it does to do it mechanically, first, it's more fun to shoot, you know, like uh, as a very basic thing. But also you like the actors, you put the actors in a 360 of the environment. So like they're living it, you know, like yeah. uh, the character of Karim is living it when he's in the van with like hundreds of kids around him. So so there, there's there's that element. And uh, and so, yeah, so we, we did it quite mechanically. It reminded me of Children of Men, the amazing car scene in Children of Men, which was... Yeah, that was an amazing scene. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's, that scene is amazing, yeah. Like, I mean, like, there's a lot of, like, amazing, you know, like, with Mathias Bouquard, my, my, my DOP, on that film, we, we watched more, like, older films, like, like Soy Cuba, or, like, uh, those older films that did everything mechanically, you know, mm -hmm. like, with the, with the camera, from a crane to handheld to... And just because we wanted the a classic type of image as well, mm -hmm. you know, not, not to go too crazy with the camera moving everywhere around, but like to, yeah, to be quite classical with the movements. And what I was so amazing when, when I was, I went back and watched it again this morning, the, every corner of the, of a scene, when there's chaos breaking out, there's something going on. There's even like in the guy in the police station is carrying the plant, which is really funny, but how is it working with all those extras and and the choreography that you've got absolute chaos? It feels very organic. Nothing feels rehearsed, or they're going through emotions. But everyone seems everyone's know, knowing what they're doing, and every, everything's well. Covered. I, th I, I think it's a few things. I think first we had like an amazing team. You know, like the, my team was like a Champions League type of team, from my ads to you know the camera team. Like everyone was really on it, and. Because we, we spent a lot of time in the estate and like all the kids, you know, uh, that are on the picture, like came from the estates, like all the extras and the small roles, they saw us rehearsing and I literally, you know, like talked to each one of them. So they really felt involved in the shoot. And so they, they and because we were shooting in sequence, they, they saw the film getting made, you know, like, and usually with extras, and I felt it with like the cops extra because they were real extras. It's really hard to move. There's, you know, a lot of moaning and like, you know, because they just used to, to just coming to take a, to take money and everything. But the the kids, because it was their, you know, we were shooting at their place. They were on camera and they like they were so into it that they were even like resetting themselves, wow. you know, like the rocks and everything. Where you, a normal extra, you never ask them that. Sure. You know, like, but here there was like I don't know. There was so much synergy behind the camera. Like, like I, I, I say that, uh, and it's not a catchphrase, but like, it, it was very real. Like, like behind the camera, there was a lot of love, and while we were shooting chaos in front of the camera, you know, and 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 then it was just very well organized and planned, uh, and and you know, and those kids had a lot of of energy. And how did you find Sammy, who plays Karim? Is this his first time on screen? Yeah, it's it's his first time on screen. We with uh, my casting di director Mohamed Belamar, we 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 looked a lot, and he he found him. He did a casting tape, and his tape was amazing. Like because it was between, I needed to find someone that 
was believable as a chief of an army that had that charisma that where you don't ask yourself why is 300 kids following him all the time but at the same time that is move that is moving and has like fragility and sensitivity and in the casting tape he did a scene where he was supposed to be confrontational and started crying as well as being aggressive and it was just like uh, beautiful so he he kind of combines this thing where you love him but also he's really intense and not necessarily doing the right thing and dali i recognize him from the last bond movie yeah he, he's great he's a movie star yeah Dali's a movie star he i first time i saw him is a uh, in a, uh, a music video from the blaze that my producer murad produced uh called territory and he was uh, amazing in it and since then he just kept gr growing and he's yeah he's he's a movie star he's amazing and how is it with uh non-act well let me, i don't like that term say so new actors experience with their experienced actors how are they was it working between those and obviously they're different yeah they're different tempos but like what i like i i kind of always do that like throw confirmed actors with non-actors because when you choose a non-actor that is really good there's some kind of naturalness that comes out of it and and genuineness and you it puts so much pressure to the to the normal actor or like to the confirmed actors that suddenly a non-actor is arriving and killing it that everyone's on their a game because you know like it just it just kind of like amps every everybody up you know and how did you feel directing something of this size with the chaos the writing and the crowd how many takes were you doing or oh uh, we, we we'd start to be to get good at take 15 uh but but I, I I mean I loved it. Like I love big things. Like I call you know, like I love when there's crowds, when it's chaos all around, when there's like, you know, pyrotechnics, helicopter. I mean I didn't have helicopters then, but like uh like I, I, ju I just really like it when it's uh um when it's a big set. And for all the big set pieces, did you have was there like a limited number of takes you could do or resets for well, those huge sequences? It's, it's, it's kind of like the limit was the day. And what happened is like the first week we started to be good around the good hours, like around like not magic hour exactly, but like around like the last two hours of the day. So f after the week one, we got married to be like, okay, we only need, which is great for the film because we only shot in the good light, but it's so much pressure because you know that even if you have a take that's good at the, at the you know, at take 10 by midday, you know you can't use it. You know you need, you need, so like the pressure is that it's those last two hours where you need to nail it, otherwise you, you fuck up the continuity of light. And that was a challenge. I've, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that it ended up like that because even though it's difficult and sequence shot, we managed to get all the good takes in, in that nice light moment. And I love the visual language of a movie where you'd follow someone from behind and you keep on following them until they're in the midst of a chaos, which then you, the viewer, feels like you've just walked into this yourself. It kind of reminded me of um, Elephant, Valerie, no, yeah. sorry, Alan Clark. Yeah, the Alan Clark one. Yeah, yeah, yeah where yeah. they're just following yeah, yeah, the shooter great, for it's with the like, steady cam. I, yeah, I, I love I love that film, and uh, I think I think the idea, you know, like Greek tragedy is in real time. It's like I mean, real time. It's like from sunset to sundown. Like it's like twenty four hours, 
And so it, we wanted to be very immersive, to have the feeling that we're living the situation as the characters living it. You know, like those oneers are made for that, like to be like immersed with them and and kind of have the feeling that as they're experiencing the situation, the uh, uh, the the viewer is experiencing the situation with them. And and I think that that conveys that idea, yes. And what was the atmosphere like on set? How was it resetting every day and com coming back to ramping up the tension? Well, the, the, the thing is that we were living almost on set, you know, like I, 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 like the set became like a chinechita of the of that town of, of Evry where some shops were closed, like some buildings are going to get torn down in the estate. So like the camera crew was in the old bakery, like the, the SFX gear was in uh, the old, you know, uh, post office. Like, like it, it became like almost a film studio, you know, where, where the crew and almost all the people that lived in the estate were working on the film, you know, whether they were extras, whether they were working on set design, whether they were working on uh, um, runners, you know, like so, so every, everyone was doing a film. It was like a city where everyone was doing a film. And what was your most difficult scene to shoot? I think, weirdly enough, it was not the first one because we shot in continuity, but the first one we saved it for last because we thought, okay, it's a difficult one. But by the time we finish the film, we'll be so educated to do the sure. runners. Oh, that's that would be very good. And we were, we were finishing an hour early for the most difficult film of the that's scene. That's crazy. For, 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 for me, the most difficult ones were more about the actors like there's scenes where it doesn't feel like a oneer, but like it's five minutes of emotion on an actor and and that's very difficult because you need to be you know like for the camera work it's very still so like on a steady cam to be very still is difficult and the actor has to be on point all the time you know so so those ones those scenes that don't look that impressive with that many extras were i think in my opinion the hardest one because it was harder for the actor and like you know to 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 deliver that much emotion in in one take basically and what's the writing process like you have two other writers on the film i was wondering is it all of you guys around a laptop are you sending drafts back and forth so most of the film like we we had the idea with ledge that like before like we started writing before the lockdown but then lockdown happened and at the beginning of the lockdown we you know we sat like there was nothing else to do we sat the three of us in a room and like we were like brainstorming writing i'd write a scene you know like it, it, it first has to come from me and then we we exchange scenes and then elias would like write the thing you know like he's better at like putting it down on paper so so yeah it was like it, it was quite organic we know each other really well but it would, because it was during lockdown, we thought the world was ending. So like we, we didn't, never thought that that film was going to be made anyway. So it was easy to be like, oh, this is a oneer. He goes from A to B and there's 500 kids torching everything. And because it's easy to write when you think it's not going to happen. You know, if I think if, if we knew it was going to happen, maybe I would have write it differently. That's a great way to write, though, in a way, isn't it? That, that the world is ending. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but writing with your heart and not thinking about how plausible or realistic this is to execute but going there anyway it, it is but i've done i've done this before where i have three films that haven't been made because of that reason right. so usually <laughs> i try to be more practical i had to have a world pandemic for me to go back in that zone but uh uh yeah and how was it selling the film and getting getting it produced well it was it was quite you know we went 
to to Netflix uh, early on when we pitched them the idea. Uh, and Gael Maréchi at Netflix was like, oh, I'm willing to develop it. We developed it on our own without Netflix in the loop. Then I showed her the script and she went for it. Like The, the thing is like normal studios in France, they, they would they would have got, gave us half the money and would have forced us probably to have like big names in it. Well, I didn't want big names. It, it, it would have made no sense to have big actors it in it. It wouldn't have felt authentic. No, or exactly. It, it, it would have been different. And And so, you know, like... At the end of the day, like we managed to make this movie because you know Netflix greenlit green it and and let me the whole, you know let you know let me do my film basically you know like and only had smart conversations with them so so yeah so it, I mean it was a great experience. And what do you want to do next? Final question. No, I, I'm, okay. I'm going to sleep probably because <laughs> that was exhausting. But no, I'm I'm going to start writing and reading again. And because uh, I've been in a ton, like this was like two years of like really just like deep in it, hard work, nothing, nothing else, think, thinking about nothing else, you know. Okay. You're a real visionary and I can't wait to see what you do next. Thanks Thank you talking. very much. Thank, Thank you, you sir. Thank you. That was me and Romain. We recorded that in the Rio basement. It was really funny because I thought the whole downstairs was clear, but there was a movie going on in screen too. And every so often someone would sneak out for popcorn and see us two sat around a desk with mics talking and had no idea what was going on. But thanks to the Rio for setting that up. Thank you to my podcast engineer, Ewan Henselwood. Joshua Eustace, a.k.a. Telephone Tel Aviv, for my beautiful music. Thanks to Netflix. And that's it. I'll see you next time. Speak soon.